So, Rachel. Yeah? While exploring the planet Argo, Kirk and Spock are turned into water breathers. Oh, what? What do you think you're going to get? They'll be able to deep dive and be with the sea creatures, I guess. Mm-hmm. Probably some scary ones. Yeah. They'll be hybrid people types. Mm-hmm. But how is anyone going to talk underwater? Mm-hmm. I'm hoping it's as close to the Little Mermaid as possible, but opposite. <laughs> with songs. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, we'll see. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, stardate 5499.9. We are orbiting the planet Argo. Argo was once a land planet, but its surface is now almost completely covered by water. The change was caused by violent seismic disturbances. Our mission is to study the effects which the quakes and other phenomena had on its surface. This knowledge may save millions of lives on a Federation planet identical to Argo, which will soon be undergoing similar transformation. Welcome to Rachel Watcher Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Chris Lackey, her husband, who's a fan of Star Trek. And he's been taking me through every little bit of Star Trek from the beginning of the original series. Here we are, now getting close to the end of the first season of the animated series. This week we're doing yet another two for the Ambergus element and the slaver weapon. It's ambergris. Oh. French for grey is gris. Oh. Don't know about the pronunciation of Amber. All right, I've learned something. This episode's writer, Margaret Arman, also wrote the animated series The Lorelei Signal. Oh, yeah. As well as the original series episodes, The Gamesters of Triskelion and The Paradise Syndrome, as well as The Cloudminders. Mm, mixed bag there. Yeah. But she likes a strong setting. Nobody's swooning over Kirk in the animated series, though, like they do in most of her scripts. No, that's true. Kids don't want to see that. No. No. They just want to hear about people being hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Although we did have a whole episode where people fell in love, so I take that back completely. All right, yeah. Yeah. The crew is on Argo investigating the impact of earthquakes, which caused it to be submerged. There's another planet waiting to be saved by what they find here. They land in an aqua shuttle. I didn't know they had those. Yes, this is the first and only episode where we see these. Oh, okay. Wouldn't any shuttle be okay in water, being airtight and having life support? I think in maybe shallow water, they would all be okay. But Mm. I think once you get to deep parts of oceans, the pressure is a different type of pressure. In space, the pressure would be pushing out. Uh, Under water, the pressure is pushing in. Right. How are they going to get it from the Enterprise to the sea then? Do you think it can do both in and out pressure? Obviously, it has to because it does. Well, that's asking a lot, isn't it? (laughs) Well, you know, that's why they don't do it on every shuttle. So these are specifically made to go in deep sea environments, I'm guessing. Mm, And it can float and submerge. How do submarines do that? I don't know. I don't get it. I just realized I don't understand that. I don't know. How can you come up and also go down? I don't know. Let us know. They'll know out there. The ship is attacked by a sur snake. Love it. It's a red iguana, huge, four long gangly limbs. Yeah, it's kind of got octopus arms. Long. Yeah, which doesn't quite make sense to me because uh, octopus's body works on a completely different system. They don't have a skeleton. And yet this thing seems to have a skeleton like a snake or a lizard would. Hmm. It attacks them, grabs the ship and throws it against the rocks. Lieutenant Clayton and McCoy are thrown clear 
into the water, but Kirk and Spock are taken off in the shuttle with the Sir Snake. Ooh, powerful start. It's Gene's dream of an episode taking full advantage of animation's possibilities. Yeah, it's really cool stuff. But why are we introducing a new character at this point? Who's this Clayton guy? I don't know. We've left people we're invested in back in the ship. Cut to Scotty's in command. Spurk have been missing for five days. Mm. When McCoy, Scott and Clayton then find them, they're face down in the water. And we get this. Their bodies are functioning. Metabolism, heart, everything but the lungs. Can't breathe. Suffocating. Help. Can't breathe. What happened to them, Doctor? What is it? Something's changed their whole lung structure. They can't live in the air anymore. What? Wow. 48 hours later in sickbay, McCoy has found an unknown substance in Kirk and Spock's bloodstream, which has changed their metabolism and turned them into water breathers. Now, Spurk can't remember exactly what happened to them, and they're living in a tank. <laughs> How have they made that? How do they make anything? <laughs> <laughs> they managed to get a tank together and all that water yeah. in time before they ran out of air. Yeah. Maybe they just put their faces in bowls of water while they were making it. That's it, yeah. That's it, I've solved it. Or a bathtub, or who knows. Yeah. Well, they have sonic showers, they don't have bathtubs. Oh, right. They can't be carrying around extra water. McCoy says that they even have a transparent second eyelid and their hands are webbed, mm. which we can see. On the future series, Enterprise, there is a type of Zindi that lives underwater. They're intelligent creatures that mm. swim around in tanks and people have to talk to them while standing on the other side of some glass. Oh, wow, gosh. So I wonder if this maybe inspired that idea. Mm. And they've been kind of clever in how Kirk and Spock look different because they've done it so they don't have to change the animation that much. Yeah. Just some webs between their fingers. McCoy says it must have been done by injection. It's highly complex, so there must be intelligent life down mm. there. Although, of course, the stupid sensors only indicate fish as usual. Here we go again. <laughs> Kirk and Spock decide to go exploring on the planet to see if they can get to the Aquans for help, even though that's very dangerous. But you think Kirk and Spock are going to settle for living in a tank? No. It's freedom or death. <laughs> Seems to be set up that they're the only ones who could do this. So I guess the life support belts don't work underwater. Uh, so well, off they go. Uh, they don't seem too worried about the prime directive here either. Say what? <laughs> I want to take my best friend to pre-warp even though he's an alien. I like having him around. Just put him in a Gots to use this accent, sweetheart. I want to phaser a whole block, leave some tech and cut the Federation in. But there's that voice from a distant memory. What did they keep saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, Thanks for bringing that up, Chris. You're, you're welcome. These are obviously not spacefaring creatures. And mm. they explain to them, hey, yeah, we're from another planet. We're not from the surface. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. So it's like, <sighs> just kind of throw that out the window. Yeah. Kirk and Spock find a group of Aquans who are ready to have a fight. Mm. They say, our kids saved you once. And you're not going to be so lucky again. Oh, so the younger generation changed Spurk. 
into water breathers, presumably to save them from the sir snake. It could be, or they just didn't know how to take care of them. And then they figured, well, let's make them water breathers. And then... Why not just take them back to the surface? As far as they know, there is no land on the surface, I guess. No, they do know lands on the surface. Mm. I don't know. That's a good question. Just trying to poke some holes in this. Because <laughs> they're scared and hateful of all the land dwellers, aren't they? So they know there are some. But then mm. they, they are found on the shore as well, having trouble breathing because oh, they can't yeah. breathe. So they turned them into water breathers, then dumped them on the rocks. Yeah. Maybe they swam up themselves. Not knowing that they're water breathers? I'm very and confused staying out of the water. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion. It's to fall apart, isn't it? So the Aquans leave and Spock and Kirk don't seem to see where they go, but they decide that they're going to go into this rift because that's where scared creatures would go. Mm. Down there, they marvel at this beautiful city. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Looks like sausages stood up with climbing nets over them. It's a really rough background painting. Which we look at for a long time. We do, yeah. So Spurk are caught in a net and they find themselves before a tribunal of older and younger Aquans. We came here in peace, Tribune. The ancient records warn that air breathers never come in peace. They came without weapons. Can we do nothing without consulting the ancient records? Why do the junior tribunes wish always to change the records? Let the mesh be removed, but stand ready. The old ones are scared and super into their rules, and the younger ones, especially Rila, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, would like to give them a chance. They agree to help, but then they get word of some of our crew in the water and they decide to leave Spock and Kirk on the rocks to die. Rila tries to free Spurk from the net as they're suffocating out on the land. She goes and finds Scotty and Clayton diving with life support belts on mm. and brings them to help. Scotty warns her there will be a huge quake in two hours. Rila says that they need to find a buried ancient city whose archives may contain a way to reverse the mutation. It seems ages ago they used to be air breathers, but they used this formula to adapt to the water. They discover that the substance in their bloodstreams is similar to the ambergris of earth whales. Ambergris, or grey amber, is a solid, waxy, flammable substance of a dull grey or blackish colour produced in the digestive system of sperm whales. Mm. Freshly produced ambergris has a marine faecal odour, but uh. that's no good at all. You want it floating around for a few decades first before it becomes really valuable. Like half the value of gold by weight valuable. Oh, wow. It's used in perfumery to stick scent to the skin, although artificial is the norm now. $20,000 per kilogram what? is what you can supposedly get for it, although it's certainly frowned upon because you're not allowed to hunt whales and somebody might go and take one directly from a whale's digestive tract. Right. Actually, you could just find a lot of it on a beach. In 2013, a guy and his dog found 2.7 kilograms on a beach in Lancashire. Whoa. Some people believe it adds an extra dimension to food. Wow. Including King Charles of England. He liked it on his eggs. They burned it as incense in ancient Egypt. It has been used as an aphrodisiac, but what hasn't? <laughs> and to ward off the plague. There's a whole chapter on it in Moby Dick. So it's poo? Yeah, it's poo. It's whale poo. It's poo that's been kicking around for a long time. Weird. Hardening in the water and showing up on a beach. In some part of what I read, it seemed that people sometimes think ambergris is spit or something. Yeah. So maybe that's what they think it is here, or venom. Kirk and Spock swim down to the old temple and they find these records in tubes and then they escape. 
but they find out that what they need is some of this venom from a sur snake. Oh no, that's so dangerous. Exactly. And they're able to convince the Aquans that they need to break the rules because they're not supposed to go after the sur snakes to get this venom to help these guys. And it's mostly the young ones convincing the old ones there yeah. rather than the crew convincing them. So Rila and Kirk milk the venom from the sur snake's fangs. <laughs> to reverse the mutation, it needs to be done by an infusion of an antitoxin made from the venom. McCoy and Chapel are now in the tank with Kirk and Spock with a glow outline on McCoy and Chapel. Yeah. Kirk goes red, then white, then finally his webs disappear and his lungs grow back or something. Yeah. Then McCoy gives him another dose of it and Kirk goes all scaly and the webs are there again. Then he's okay again. What's going on? Lots of change. But why is he giving him more when he was fine? Well, yeah, I don't think he was fine. He was going through the process. Mm, not sure, man. In orbit with two Aquans on the bridge in life support headgear, their own little domes over their heads, they blast uninhabited sections of the planet, trying to move the Quake's epicenter away from the Aquan city. What? Well, because earthquakes are basically slipping plates. Like there's a lot of pressure that gets built up. So mm -hmm. if they can go f find ways to relieve that pressure that isn't near where the inhabitants are, they yeah. can do controlled earthquakes, basically. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. Wow. All right. The side effect, though, is that new land masses emerge from beneath the ocean's surface. I get that mountains can be formed by plates forcing molten rock up uh -huh. from between them, but they can't have a city on them when they come through, can they? That's already been fully built. Uh... Calling shenanigans on that bit. Happy to be proved wrong. Yeah, I'm a little confused by the science in this one. <laughs> yeah. They don't make it very clear. We end with this. We owe you and your friends much gratitude captain kirk we will try to repay by making the ancient records available for your studies our experience here has shown us the means of diverting quakes that will mean much to the endangered federation planet the light is warm and the air is soft i shall be glad when the surface places can be inhabited the young aquans have decided to rebuild the great shelters of the air breathers only the young aquans Senior Aquans cannot adjust to the thought of becoming air breathers. We will remain at the Aqua City. Don't lose contact with each other, like your ancestors. We will pass ordainments to forbid it. And we this time will not ignore them. All righty, concepts. I like at the end there that everyone's learned something that they might be able to take forward mm -hmm. often we have new technology discovered in star trek and then they just forget that it ever existed or never consider how they could apply it to making their lives so much better so that's something yeah i liked about the round off mm -hmm. bit strange that kirk and spock could talk and survive for a while out of the water yeah if they can't breathe oxygen how are they even speaking right and they could talk normally in water. Fish can survive outside of water for a bit as well. but mm, they can't talk though, can they? But I have seen fish sing <gasps> on walls. Oh, yeah, that proves it. Then yeah. they're not even in water. Exactly. Proves it. So there you go. Prejudice and assumptions about a group of people came in. Here again, the propaganda had been spread that the people who lived above the water were awful and would hurt them. They were very advanced yet adhering rigidly to ancient rules. The younger generation were thinking and acting differently and considering the circumstances rather than dogma. Yeah. And I thought they all had a respectful way of talking to each other, the young and the old. They didn't dismiss each other. They seemed to listen. Yeah. 
Yeah, hmm. I thought it was well done. The official guide to the animated series said, Armin again showered some knowledge on viewers, this time taking on religious extremist groups and even American politicians who believe in only literal translations of holy books or the U.S. Constitution. How did they give them webbed hands and change their whole breathing system? The venom of something? Well, the venom made the solution. Obviously, this is something that goes into your DNA and changes it around. Who knows how the hell this stuff works? Like, this is uh-huh. technology that's way beyond anything that we could ever understand. But then the sir snake venom was all they needed to reverse it. All they needed to synthesize that with something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't just the venom. They had mm. to do a whole process, but that was an element that they needed. Perhaps there was some DNA in there that they needed mm. to be able to modify so that they can change humans into water breathers. Obviously, it changed their whole biological structure. So I don't know how something like that would work. Some of the Aquans were treated in this way, apparently, and then it became hereditary. So initially they got the technology for it. That's when they had to go underwater because of the earthquake. Yes. Wow, they must have developed that fast then. The life support belts were forgotten until it was convenient to Mm, remember them. And Spock at one point surmised that they were violent because they had lived through terror, which is problematic. If you're saying it to children, maybe it's a way they can understand bullies but if you're suggesting that all people who've been through trauma are therefore violent then that's certainly a very problematic interpretation to make i'll give it a five out of ten this episode introduced two water-themed landing craft the enterprise's aqua shuttle and then the scouter gig that they were using later which is kind of just a boat really uh for the first and only time in this episode i like the idea that these people are descended from air breathers and that they bioengineered their own bodies to survive on a changed planet yeah i thought that was cool why did the female have breasts yeah that's what i wondered they must Uh, have been mammals i guess they were at one point mammals Mm -hmm. and they could still be mammals dolphins don't have breasts they don't have breasts (laughs) when you think about the concepts they're pretty amazing actually Yeah. But I don't think that came across whilst watching the episode. Yeah. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. If this had been fleshed out perhaps into a full-length episode or a story, I think it would have been fascinating, actually. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Entertainment. I loved the design of the merpeople and the sursnake. Yeah. Even though we're being mean to the animation, or mostly you are. I am. There's some amazing design in this. Oh, yeah. The design is great. I have no problem with that. It's the animation. It was pretty engaging because it was so weird. I liked the debates between the young and the older generations and how they listened to and accepted each other and wanted to stay connected to each other in spite of their differences. We had a young heroine who really did help them a lot and put herself in danger to do so. The swimming animation was a bit silly. It looked as though they had flippers on their feet so they didn't need to use their hands. It's easier, presumably, to animate. Of course. I give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I thought it moved at a good clip. There was interesting stuff. I was never bored with it. Yeah, there was enough going on here that kept me very entertained. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 as well. All right. Good value. Phone your parents. It's the law. At the end, they agreed the children might start to build a life for themselves on the surface, but that they would stay connected. They would make it the law that they had to stay in touch somehow. Oh, okay. Yes, of course. Just because they don't want there to be water breathers and air breathers fighting like they did in the past. And so they want to see their kids. Of course. Who yeah. doesn't? There were a few tidbits thrown in around judgment of appearance, making assumptions based on somebody being an air breather, for example, and also making assumptions without facts. Don't know if those would have come across to kids or yeah, not. Yeah. 
whale poop detail would have engaged our kids. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Mackay said it was in their bloodstream. Gross. Yeah. He must have thought it meant some other kind of hormonal thing or I, spit yeah, or something less I gross. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're misunderstanding what's going on with this stuff. So overall, three out of five. There was a lot of good stuff about disrespecting your elders or not always listening to what they say. <laughs> Encouraging them to disrespect their elders. Well, there's a point, too, where you should challenge the beliefs in your society. Because yeah. sometimes they're wrong. And I think that it shows it in a very healthy way, uh, the way to do it. So I give it a three out of five. Hmm. Could it have been live? DC Fontana has repeatedly cited this episode with its extensive use of underwater scenes as an episode that was only possible because it was produced in animation rather than live action. Yeah, I would have thought so. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no way you could have done this. They could have done some kind of bubble effect thing on it. But no way. They couldn't have been swimming or anything. No way. My guess is, while the younger generation did end up adapting to life on land, like Ariel in The Little Mermaid, <laughs> and they did fear the land dwellers, no one lost their voice or their legs or had a crab sidekick, though. That's true. So it wasn't very much like The Little Mermaid. Never no. mind. No, oh well. That was hopeful on your part. Yeah. I understand that. But I must say I'm grateful, Chris, not to be part of the world. <laughs> With all the whale poop in their bloodstreams uh, and all that. I Ooh. don't think it's whale poop in their bloodstreams. <laughs> no, but I, I did like the design a lot. I like the design of the creatures, the people, but mm -hmm. I thought their city, again, was pretty lackluster. Yeah, it, it looked like it had been made by people with poop in their bloodstreams <laughs> to me. They looked like beef jerky, didn't they? The columns. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It just looked to me rushed illustration work. Yeah. Like, quick, draw this in five minutes. Oh, oh okay. what? But they've just said in the script, it's beautiful. Cut that bit out. No, you've got to stick with it. <laughs> it's fine. It's not. No one will notice. Because this was such a weird episode conceptually, and I guess it must stand alone as being the only underwater episode, yeah, we've decided so. to give it its own show. Yes. But yeah. it also allows us to get ahead so that we can bring you episodes over the whole holiday period. And also take a holiday ourselves. Yes. Uh, we are trying to get ahead, get these episodes done early so that we can bring you all the content during the holiday season, even though you guys probably will be so busy that you'll just catch up afterwards. They won't remember us over the holidays. Of course they will. They'll be sitting there shivering, waiting for their newest installment of Rachel Watch's Star Trek. Their presents unopened. Shivering. <laughs> for some reason, you, you have internet, but you don't have heating. <laughs> No, no, they're just shivering with anticipation. Oh, I see. I just thought you meant they were they were really no, cold. No. Uh, well, I want to thank our patrons, shivering or not, for all their support <laughs> and all the amazing work they do by keeping this enterprise going. Yeah, thank you. Without you, the dilithium crystals would be depleted. They would yeah, definitely be depleted. They would. Happy three-year anniversary. We've been doing this show for three years. Oh, the show? Yeah. Oh. Don't worry, I've missed your anniversary. I was going to say, I thought we were married much longer than that. Uh, yeah, oh, great. Three years we've been doing the show, and we've been ramping up as we go. Hopefully we can keep that momentum going and be bringing you more episodes and more awesome content, especially when we move into the next generation. <laughs> Thank you all for being with us so far on this journey. And happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek.
watches Star Trek. <laughs>